well, I don't know about you, but that time of worshiping the Lord through singing was excellent. <laughs> Does my heart good for me, and I hope it was for you guys, because um, uh, Jesus Christ is, is who this world needs. People have darkness in their lives, they, they're caught up in, in their lives and, and have wrong understanding of who God is, who Jesus Christ is, and, um, and we can bring Christ into that situation, and we've been talking about that here with this series Blueprint, that we are pillars in support of the truth, we're the church of the living God, we represent God, we represent Christ to a world that needs him, and we sing about it, and I hope when we think about these things as we're singing it, we're, I hope we see people in our lives who need Christ, and uh, man, I really want for Grace Point to be that kind of church. Uh, I've grown up in church, and uh, I've been a part of churches that didn't get it, and I've seen churches that, have, that don't get it, and I've seen churches that do, and man... That's what I want for our church. Um, you know, so. Thanks, you guys. We'll go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And as you do, I'll try to compose myself. Um, the, the clock says I have 166 hours. Nice. <laughs> All right. So, wow, people, we're going to be here for a long time. And I'm going to get well paid, because I get paid by the word, and if I can... <laughs> I might need some IVs or something to keep me going that long. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Thank you. I appreciate that. Anyways, uh, yeah, as you turn it I want to thank those that were able to make it yesterday for our mini prayer retreat, uh, prayer retreat uh, that we had. Uh, it was a great time worshiping the Lord in prayer, and as we, we prayed for our church family, and... Um, and for what it is that God wants to do in and through us as we get into the fall and winter months, and it was a great time. Um, this week and next week, we're going to be finishing up Blueprint, and um, and then on the 26th, for, we're going to do a little two-week series that I'm calling Mission Possible, so you'll have to you know stick with us until the 26th to see what that's all about. Um, I promise you I won't be doing any kind of Mission Impossible thing, you know, hovering over you. Though that would be pretty cool. Um, think of a message that way. Well, next to, next to marriage and family, uh, the, the greatest institution that God has created is that of his, his church family. And this morning we're going to look at two groups in, that, in our church um, that are the most vulnerable. Um, Paul deals with these two groups. One is widows and especially those who are, whose uh, spouse has passed away uh, and has no family, and no children, grandchildren, that type of thing, and how we're to respond specifically to them. Uh, we'll also talk about another group of widows too, but that's kind of the focal point here. And then the elders of a church, uh, not those that are older, but the position of elders. And I think he deals with this because they're vulnerable in the sense that they are open to... Um, maybe more personal attacks, spiritual attacks, because they're choosing to make the step of being a spiritual leader in the church. 
Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5 probably fit best with chapter 4. I'm not sure why the editors, when they broke the Bible into chapters and verse, which they did make it easier for us to teach out of, I'm not sure why they um, put 1 and 2 in 5, but whatever the case. So we're going to cover that. Um, but basically, as, as Timothy is supposed to be prescribing and teaching all the things that he's been told to do, he's supposed to respond to the different ages, different individuals in a certain way. So let's read verses 1 and 2 real quick, and um, let me uh, get it so I can actually see. <laughs> um, it says this, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. And so, as I said, as, as Timothy is dealing with these issues, teaching what biblical truth is, he's prescribing it and teaching it, and has this idea of doing that with authority. Remember, false teachers, he was supposed to be very direct with them, get them to stop teaching. But those who were following false teachers, he needed to, to be more gentle with that and do more of a, a persuasion rather than coming hard at them. That's what he's saying here. It's kind of summarizing all this up. And he says that he's, to, he's not to sharply rebuke, which is harsh. It means harsh or violent rebuke. Uh, anybody ever been harshly or violently rebuked? Maybe cut somebody off in traffic, a little you know, road rage? Okay. Timothy's not supposed to do you know, church rage. Not supposed to jump on somebody. Um, so no matter who Timothy's dealing with, whether it's a, an old, older man, older woman, younger man, younger woman, He's supposed to respond to them, he's supposed to honor them, and he's supposed to appeal to them. That word appeal, parakaleo, is, a, is the Greek. It has the same base word as the title given to the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16, paraclete. And it has this idea of coming alongside of. And so Timothy, as the pastor and as the example, but all followers of Christ need to be able to come alongside of those who may be straying and may be... Um, tracking down the wrong road when it comes to, to spiritual things, uh, truth, biblical truth. We're supposed to come alongside of them and, and help them and encourage them and hopefully get them back on the right track. So that's what he's talking about there. But then he moves on to, um, to, to widows and, and to elders. And so we're going to kind of break this down. And again, um, this is just one of those topics that I'm, I'm glad that, the, that God gives some words of advice and and instruction for us so we know how to do it. Um, it's not typically something maybe you cover on a Sunday morning, but uh, we're going to do that, and I'll, I'll try to make it really exciting for you if I can somehow or another. Um, but let's read verses 5 through 8, and we're just going to do that. We're going to read a passage, talk about it, read a passage, talk about it this morning, change it up a little bit. But he says this, <clears throat> Honor widows who are widows indeed. Not indeed like an action, but definitely widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. So, for instance, if you're ever wondering what God's will is for your life, one of the God's will for you is to take good care of your parents. Oh, you're my kids are in here. Just... just just mark that down, guys. Side note, be nice to mom and dad. Um, <laughs> I'll get off track. Now, she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. 
But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe and teach these, uh, these things as well, so you may be above reproach. So they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And again, you know, you read Scripture, and I don't know how closely you guys do that, but sometimes Scripture says things, and you go, man, that's, that's, that's crazy talk. How, how does that happen? Well, that's what he's talking about here. So first of all, we're the church, the church family, you and I, together as a church, are to provide for those who are widows indeed. Now, who are they? Well, first of all, he says, a widow indeed is somebody who has no family. Husband has passed away, there's no children, there's no grandchildren. And so what she's doing is she's giving herself and putting herself before God and saying, God, I need you to take care of my needs, my financial needs, my physical needs, and all that kind of stuff. If a widow has a family, they're to show their respect for her and reverence for God and take care of them. And to not do that, he says, and again, God is, God's spirit is the one moving Paul to say this, for them to not do that is for them to deny the faith, to deny what the gospel says, that they don't have an understanding of the gospel. And they're worse than an unbeliever, because even unbelievers know they need to take care of their family members. And so that's huge for families. It's huge for our church family to be able to come around these widows uh, who have no family. So the other part of it, like I said, is, is that she is, uh, fixes her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers. So she's looking to God and saying, God, I need you to take care of my needs. And she's, her life is characterized by entreaties and prayers. In other words, that she is spending time, because remember we've kind of broke these words down from chapter 2. So she's spending time in prayer, which is kind of that worshipful attitude behind prayer, and in entreaties, that's her needs. She's bringing her needs before God. And the implication here is that her needs are met through her church family. If her physical family can't take care of her, they're not around, then her church family needs to come around her and take care of her. And he refers to, to some who may be in wanton pleasure. And, and what is that? So wanton pleasure, which is, you know, we don't use that phrase very often, I don't think anymore, um, at least I haven't, that I can think of, um, is just a person, in this case a widow, who is all about herself and not just meeting her needs, but also meeting her wants. But it's really self-focused. It's all about her and what she wants. And so the way this would play out is uh, maybe a widow um, who wants to go out and just, you know, in our day and age, you know, maybe, I don't want to step on toes. Cruises are good things. Feel free to take a cruise. But maybe this widow say, hey, I want to take a cruise, but I don't have enough money. So if I get the church to take care of my bills that I can save up enough money to go on this cruise. Okay, that would be wanton pleasure, all right? Um, because the church needs to be help her if she needs help. If she doesn't need help for her needs, if she can find other ways, then that's, that's what she needs to do. So it's, it's, it's not a, a woman who's going to take the church's help so she can go off and do whatever she wants to do in her life. And the implication here is that they're not to, the church is not to help that kind of person that has that kind of... Uh, mindset. And again, here, I, you know, he says that her actions 
show that she's spiritually dead, that she doesn't understand the gospel either. And it's weird. If we have a true understanding of the gospel, if we have a true understanding of God the Son putting on flesh, living a perfect life, dying on the cross for our sins, it's going to order everything else we have in our lives, including how we respond to our church family. It's just, it's awesome. And it's, you know, it's pretty cool how that works out. So then Timothy is to continually prescribe and teach these things for the sake of the widow's reputation and the churches because we represent God in this world. And that's pretty um, obvious, you know, pretty straightforward that we as humans constantly forget these things. <laughs> we as humans, right, we constantly go and, and we kind of maybe get selfish, we kind of get self-focused, and we need to be reminded. And so this is another one of those situations that as the church grows and as God blesses us with more people in our church, we're going to constantly have to remind people, this is, what, this is how we do it. This is how we take care of widows in our church. This is how we take care of people in our church. And so it's just a constant thing. Well, next, Paul tells Timothy to free up the younger widows. So we've talked about widows indeed. We're going to reference them again at the end of 9 through uh, 16. But uh, he goes on to talk about another group of widows, and he refers to the list and a pledge in these verses. Um, so an understanding them, to me, makes it, makes it you know, important that we understand what these are. So I'm going to read verses 9 and 10 first, talk about a few things, and then 11 through 16, and try to get some understanding there as well. So verses 9 through 10 says this, A widow is to be put on the list only if she is less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. And so there's a debate here as to what this list is. Some people think that it's um, talking about the widows indeed, that there's another, there's the list, you know, a couple of things she's supposed to do, but then she, he adds on some more here in this verse. Um, other people believe it's what we would you know, call a widow's uh, ministry team. There's not a hill to die on in this one. Feel free to believe whatever you want to believe on this. Um, I, in fact, as I'm reading this, as I study, I kind of go back and forth, but I, I'm landing on the fact that I think it's a widow ministry team, and here's why. First of all, if the list refers to the widow, uh, widows indeed, those qualifications, the, the widow indeed would have to meet those qualifications to be served. And, and to me, that just seems kind of like a, a stringent, unnecessary thing that if, some, if a widow indeed, who has no family, comes to the church, we got to go, well, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this when you were not a widow? This seems kind of strange to me. Um, also, Paul is already giving us a list of requirements we just talked about. According to verse 12, there's a pledge or a vow that these widows make to God. Um, the, the list of requirements is similar to elders, deacons, and deaconesses. It parallels responsibilities given to older women in Titus 2. Church history, uh, if you're into church history, you can read about Ignatius and Polycarp and some other writers, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd centuries, talk about these widow ministry teams. Um, and the last thing is, a widow indeed could be on this ministry team, but to be on a ministry team, she didn't have to be a widow indeed. So it kind of allows for freedom there uh, for a widow indeed to be part of the team if she wants to be. So the qualifications for this widow's ministry team 
is that she needs to be older than 60 years. And back then, 60-year-old person was considered old. Um, back then, it was generally understood that that woman would probably not get remarried. Um, and again, this is kind of a cultural thing for them. Uh, she had to be the wife of one man. And this is the same as the elders deacons, uh, and deacons. It's his idea of that when she was married, that she would be, uh, she was sexually pure, that she was married to her husband. She didn't go out have affairs and didn't go out running around on him, that she was faithful to her husband. That's what that phrase means. And then she demonstrated a life of good works prior to and after being a widow. So things like she brought up her children well. She nourished them, encouraged them, brought them up in a godly home, showed hospitality to strangers. Back in the day, Christians were moving around, being persecuted in certain areas, and so they were moving out, and so the, the church family in that area would then bring them in and let them stay in their homes until they got themselves situated. So she did that. She washed the saints' feet. I think if you've been in church, uh, you probably you know this. They walked around in sandals and walked in dirt. So when they get to somebody's house, usually a servant would wash their feet. But some homes didn't have servants. And so if, the, if you walked into this woman's home, uh, she would be the first one there to wash her feet. Or if the church got together and they showed up at someone's house, she would be there um, helping people wash the feet of those who came in. Assisted those in distress, so she was actively helping those in difficult times. And then it said devoted herself, and that has the idea of enthusiastically and with determination, she served others. So her worship of God was her service. Her service was her worship. So what about the, the widows who were younger than 60? 11 through 16, he talks about them. I just want to have some clarifying thoughts here. First of all is this. As we read through these verses, God's not saying that younger widows can't serve in the church. There's plenty of places for younger widows to serve in the church. Uh, they just couldn't be on the widow ministry team. Secondly, evidently, again, we've got to kind of read into the passage here a little bit, but evidently, there were situations in other churches where maybe a younger widow got onto the widow ministry team, and then there were some issues, and, and she had some struggles, the church had some struggles, and it was making her look bad, making the church look bad, and so they kind of put this in place. And then thirdly, God's ultimately protecting younger, younger widows. He doesn't want these younger widows to lock themselves into a pledge that they don't need to lock themselves into in order to serve in the church. And then when things get difficult and she wants to do some of the things that we're talking about here in these verses, that she feels stuck in those situations. Um, and so he's really, God's protecting the younger widows here and, and giving them a place or an opportunity to serve freely and not be stuck. So let's look at uh, verses 11 through 16 then to these younger widows. He says, But refuse to put younger widows on a list, for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. There's that pledge thing we're talking about. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any man who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so it may... Uh, so it may assist those who are widows 
indeed. And so we have some things here for the younger widows. Again, they're to be freed from this pledge that he talks about in verse 12. From the text and from other things we know about Scripture, uh, the pledge probably has to do with, I'm making a vow to God to serve him and his church, and I will not get married. Okay, so as we read through, it kind of sounds like it's part of the pledge, and it frees them up in order to serve the church well. Paul has talked about that in 1 Corinthians 7, for instance. It probably involved checking in on church families and seeing what's going on, those who have needs, kind of being the ones that's out in the community, making sure that everything's going okay, reporting back to Timothy and the other leaders how things are going. And in Titus 2, 3 through 7, it says that the older women are to disciple younger women. So it was probably a team of these women who are doing this kind of, this kind of thing. But some younger women, and again, he doesn't give us the reason for it, but some younger women evidently wanted to be on this ministry team, and so God gives some reasons why not. The first one is um, that they, he didn't want them to be involved in discipline associated with a, a vow that she didn't need to make. So again, um, she makes a vow. She says, I'm, I'm not going to get married. Um, I'm going to focus on doing these things. But then she's of the age that somebody comes along in the church, a widower or some guy who hasn't been married, and now she's attracted to him. He's attracted to her. There's going to be you know, potentially a, a relationship going on there. And so Paul uses some phrases that today, I, at least for me, maybe not for you, but for me, I, I read it and I'm going, wow, that's really strong language you're using there, Paul. Why are you making it so difficult <laughs> on me today? Uh, but he says this, he, he says, um, they feel sensual desires in disregard for Christ and then connects it with incurring condemnation. And his point is this, God takes vows very seriously. We, we don't think about vows and pledges much, but in Jewish culture, it was, it was very... Um, is an important thing to make a vow to God and then keep it. We've talked about that. And so what God's desiring here and hoping for, and his concern is, he, he doesn't want them to make a vow, then be expected to keep the vow, and then experience frustration and irritation when a person decides they want to get married and then have all that going on in their lives. And so he uses, he talks about the fact that they would maybe get themselves into idleness. And idleness means basically just kind of wasting time, wasting ministry opportunity. He talks about gossips and busybodies, and that they would become people who are going around um, talking about things they shouldn't be talking about, getting involved in people's issues that they shouldn't be getting involved with. And I, and I think, so I'm kind of thinking, okay, how does, how does this play out? What, are, what is he talking about? And the only thing I can think of is some of the experiences I've had in work situations. You know, when I was working in Colorado as a facility manager at a high school, I had a couple guys on my crew that um, one, one of them didn't like the fact that I got the job because it was his job. He'd been there longer, and therefore he should have got the job. They hired somebody from outside the school, you know, all that kind of stuff. And his attitude, I was told he was a really good worker. But when I got there, because he didn't get the job, because he didn't get to do what he wanted to do, he, was, he had just a really bad attitude. And I couldn't get him to do his work. And then I find out that he's talking about me, you know, to, to teachers and to administ administration people, and just this, you know, gripey, crabby kind of attitude. Um, and I think that's what he's talking about here. 
So you have this younger widow who, again, for whatever reason, wants to be on the widow ministry team, and there could be some good reasons why she wants to do it. She wants to give back to the church. She, she thanks them for the care that they've given her, and so she's just you know, thanking God for that, and so she makes this emotional decision, I want to be part of the widow ministry team. And then, so she does, and it's happened in some other churches, again, reading into, into it a little bit. It's happened in some other churches, and then somebody, she wants to get into a relationship, but the elder's like, I'm sorry, you made the vow. And vows to God are important, so we're going to hold you to it. So then she gets frustrated and irritated, and she starts getting involved, you know, doing her ministry, but maybe not doing it as well as she should. And then she starts talking to people, and maybe even voicing some of her frustration. It's a prayer request. Um, and then pretty soon finds out there's some other people in the church who also don't like some of Timothy's style or the elders' leadership style. And pretty soon they, you see, you see, what I'm saying. I mean, I think we've all experienced that somewhere or another in our lives. Or just me, evidently, because nobody's going, yeah, yeah, they're all going. I have no clue. No. Anyways, um, so again, kind of reading into it, that's what I see being the case. So he didn't want her to, to experience any kind of discipline that might come from going against a vow, and he didn't want her um, to potentially harm the widow or the church uh, if she went ahead and tried to hold, if they tried to hold her to that pledge. So if she can't serve in a widow ministry team, what can she do? And, and besides the fact that she could do pretty much anything else in the church, uh, Paul focuses Timothy on some specifics. And she, he says this, that younger widows should be free to marry. Paul's not commanding that younger widows get married. He's just saying you need to be, have that freedom to do that. Okay, don't jump into a decision that you don't need to make. For your sake, let's allow you to have that freedom to be marriage, uh, to be married, to be involved. And again, in the first century, very important. that Back then, women didn't get their own jobs. They didn't go out and have their own business necessarily. They needed to be supported some way, somehow. And so that was an important thing for them to do. Younger widows, if they were married and able, were to have children. We know from Scripture, children are a blessing from God. And, and it's her first and foremost God-given responsibility to raise children uh, to follow after Christ. Chapter 2, 15, we talked about that. She's to keep house. It has the idea of um, just managing the household well, which, same thing with elders, same thing with deacons, supposed to manage the household well. Her fulfilling her God-given responsibilities would keep her from reproach. It would keep her from the sins that we were just talking about. And then some had turned aside to follow Satan. Again, a pretty strong statement, but what's happened, what happens if she goes this, goes this direction, or for anybody who says, I want to do life my way, we follow in the footsteps of Satan, because Satan's sin was, I want to be God. I want to do God. I want to do life my way, not God's way. And in verse 9, he sums it up and just says to the Christian women, you're to care for those, um, for those who have widows. So if you're a Christian woman here, and there's a widow in your life, you have a responsibility to care for her, so that the church can care for those who are truly widows indeed. All right? All right, moving on to elders. Four quick points here coming out of verses 11 through, or 17 through 25. So let me read those really quick, and we'll, uh, we'll hit the elders. Not physically speaking. <laughs> um, we'll talk about the elders. It says this, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while he is threshing, which I take that personally. 
and a laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ and of his chosen angels to maintain those principles without bias, doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourselves free from sin. And then Paul has one of those uh, mental jumps, those tangents that we have a lot. We're working on something, and oh, that's right, i got to tell somebody something. And we shoot him an email and go back to work. This is kind of a first century email. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So basically, he just he has this thought, oh, that's right, Timothy's, Timothy's not feeling well. Timothy also didn't drink wine, evidently. And so Paul's saying, hey, put a little wine in your water, disinfect it or whatever that does to it. That way you'll drink it and your stomach won't have all the issues. Then he gets back on track, back to typing. The sins of some men are quite evident going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. So four quick points here as we get through this. First of all, elders uh, who do it and do it well are to be, can, to be honored and really have a double honor, which basically means if an elder is serving well, we need to give that person uh, respect, and we need to give him honor, and he needs to be greatly appreciated. And, you know, I honestly, um, you know, I just had something just pass through my mind. You know, I don't, I don't remember the last time personally I was down in Fremont talking to an elder and thanking them for their ministry. Um, you know, which that would be something that maybe we should think about doing. Kim, write that down as a note, would you? Thank you. <laughs> Kim's my reminder. -er. So they need to be, um, they should receive double honor, be well respected, greatly appreciated. He says, Those who work hard at teaching and preaching are to be paid, is what he's talking about here, out of Deuteronomy and Luke 4. Today we call those elders pastors, um, and so they should be taken care of. He refers to pastors being oxes. I'm not really sure I appreciate that, but. Um, so, I guess it all depends on how you're built. Um, but, you know, back then, they, and maybe today too, they don't muzzle the ox as he's working. They want him to eat as he's working. Luke 10, uh, if someone does the work, they should be paid. And so just a real quick Grace Point thing for us. Uh, Grace Point has a budget. It's um, overseen by the elders at our main campus in Fremont, but it's our budget in the sense that it op we operate from our own budget here. Um, and they, you know... I interact with the elders and with the financial people down there and making sure everything's going good and that kind of stuff. So that budget takes care of our, our bills that we have, you know, keep the lights on and all that kind of stuff going on. Uh, it takes care of our ministries. So as you guys give in the offering plate, um, that money goes to keep our building going, to make any changes that we're going to do in our building, but also help us with our ministries as we impact uh, Northwest Ohio for Christ. But it also covers uh, my salary and my health insurance, um, and my Maserati. So um, I really appreciate you guys doing that. I don't, uh, I don't drive it much at uh, the church anyways. But Kim and I, Friday night, oh man, we are out. Our hair is, her hair is flying. And, oh, it's awesome. It's a great time. Um, 
But at this point, let me just re remind you, we have a, a brainstorm and barbecue coming up on the 26th, and part of our thinking there is to get people involved in how do we reach your neighborhoods and, and this community for Jesus Christ, and how do we use that money that God provides through you and me, how, how do we best do that? And then thirdly, elders should be protected, but not immune from discipline when they sinned. And basically what he's saying here is, if somebody has an issue with an elder, uh, the elders aren't to respond to that unless two or three individuals bring that to their attention. Now, it's two or three separate individuals who have seen the same sin, probably something out of you know, chapter 3 we talked about. And so uh, it's not like one person who has an ir you know, irritation with Pastor Harold you know, and then goes and says, you know, do you, have you noticed what Pastor Harold does out in the lobby where he slaps people in the back of the head? No, I didn't. Well, he does. He does. That's not good. No, it's not good. We should probably talk to somebody about it. And then those two start walking around and they, did you, did you see Pastor Harold smack somebody across the back of the head? And they're like, no, I have. Well, he, he does. Yeah, he does. Now those three people come to the elders and say, um, Pastor Harold's smacking people in the back of the head. Now, if a person goes to the elder and says, hey, um, Pastor Hill smacking people in the back of the head. They'll be okay, well, thank you. We'll take note of that. And then, unrelated to that person in any way, another person comes to them and says, hey, um, hey, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Hill smacking people in the back of the head. And then a third person, unrelated, to, now the elders need to go, okay, we better check in and see Harold, you know, who Harold's slapping and who he's not slapping and have a conversation and investigate that, Okay. Some believe that this is something that should happen after Matthew 18, church discipline that Jesus talks about. Other people say it's not connected uh, because of the importance of the elders uh, needing to live holy lives. Again, not a hill to die in, I don't believe. Uh, Paul addresses only the one who continues to sin. So if I continue to slap people in the back of the head. Um, and so the assumption there, uh, my own personal assumption, is that, that for if they confronted me with that, and depending on how grievous that sin was, if I repented of it, that I would remain an elder. But if it was a grievous sin, they'd remove me type of thing, you know, if that makes sense. Um, but kind of gives freedom to the church depending on the, how severe the sin is. But the one who continues to sin after being confronted is to be brought before the entire church. And in order to, hopefully for that person to feel the pressure to repent, not get their ministry back, but to repent but also to help the church realize, oh man, that, you know, they're serious about making sure we do life God's way. I appreciate the fact that the, that the elders care about God's word and that they want somebody who is honorable to be an elder and also for them to then not sin in the same way. But these, these steps are to be done without bias or favoritism. And, and he really puts the pressure in here because it's God, Jesus, and the angels, those who are responsible to protect and serve the church family, right? That's what Scripture tells about angels. Um, they're, they're watching this. And so Timothy and the elders need to make sure they do it right one way or the other and not play favorites. And the last thing he says is that elders will be chosen carefully. Um, not to be too quick to put somebody in leadership, because if we do that uh, and that person sins, it's as if we've given them a platform and we've also sinned alongside of them. So we're supposed to be very careful, patient, uh, in doing that. Um, and then uh, a potential elder's life will show whether they should be chosen or continue to serve. And again, he says, some men's sins are obvious, 
Other men's sins will come later, so therefore that's the importance of making sure that you're doing it kind of in a slow process and, and making sure you investigate well before. Then there's those whose deeds make it obvious that they should be in leadership. And in whatever case, their actions, their life will show whether they get it or not. So that's widows and elders. But what does it mean for us today? Um, and so as i kind of been praying about this, and again, as we are continuing to develop as a church and develop positions of ministry and making sure that we are in a position um, to serve those who come to our church well, uh, let me just throw out a couple things. First is this. Caring for widows is an incredibly um, crucial demonstration of who we are as the church of the living God that we talked about in chapter 3. That we're God's family. We're, we're the household of God. And so we need to make sure that we are taking care of those in our families, widows and really anybody else. And as we grow, like I said, as we grow, there's going to be other people coming in who have needs, uh, who have difficulties in their lives. And we as a church family have the privilege and honor to be able to come around them, represent Christ well to them, and care for them. And our ministry mindset as we go into this next year is going to be, we're here for you. As we're talking to people in our church, or in our community, we talk to people in our neighborhoods at work, that we're going to, we want the message to get out that Grace Point Church, those who attend Grace Point Church, are here for them. Okay, We're not going to be about so much, hey, um, look at us. Okay, uh, Look what we do on Sunday morning. It's going to be, what are your needs, and how can we best serve you, help you, and then through that, be able to share Christ with them, the one who ultimately will meet their ultimate needs. So what I want to do is I want to develop um, a care ministry. And this ministry would be um, filled with people who maybe you know, have a spiritual gift of encouragement or uh, mercy or compassion, that type of thing, or not, but that would make sense. And this would be a ministry, kind of a broad ministry, where we know what's going on within our church and those needs are being met. Like, for instance, you know, Mike Fisher had... Um, knee surgery, both knees, and so our church gathered around them and were dropping off all kinds of food for them, all right? So that would be part of a care ministry. Maybe we heard something, a neighbor of ours has an issue, and we can't quite take care of it. That person would then get a hold of the care ministry coordinator, say, hey, here's what's going on, and then we would see if somebody in our church can meet that person's need, not necessarily affiliated with our church even, but a neighbor who needs Christ and who needs Christ to meet her need through the church. And so if you're a person who thinks, man, that would be a great ministry, I'd love to be a part of that, we need somebody to lead that. So we don't start a ministry until we have somebody who can lead that. If you're thinking, man, I'd like to talk to Harold about that, come talk to me and I can fill you in on a little bit more on what that ministry expectation would be. Second thing is, um, as, it, as it speaks to elders, uh, we need men to step up in our church. We have men who have stepped up, okay? Uh, we got guys, 13 are going through the men's leadership group of all ages, um, from middle school all the way up, and um, we have guys going through that, and that's great. It's awesome. It's, it's theology and doctrine and ministry philosophy, and we're just kind of getting some people, the guys who are interested, nailed down on those kind of things. But we need to be thinking as we go forward of more of a men's ministry in general, Okay, and so we're, I'm needing somebody who would say, "Hey, I want to step up, and I want to be a part of that, and and be the men's ministry coordinator." In both of those coordinator positions, you have to be a member and obviously a follower of Christ and, and all that. Um, 
But those are two areas I think that we, in this coming year, need to develop and grow in. So that's, um, if that's of interest to you as well, be praying about it, thinking about it, and feel free to come talk to me. All right? Have I put you to sleep yet? Yeah, some of you guys are? That's all right. Okay. Well, I think we can beat the Baptists to the uh, restaurant, so... So I'm just showing the fact that I was raised in church. Uh, in Nebraska, we were at a church, Kim and I were at a church there, where they literally tried to figure out the best time to release their congregation, because there's not too many restaurants in town. The people who worked at those restaurants knew which denomination had just let out by who showed up at what time. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Anyways, we have plenty of restaurants. You'll be fine. Let's go ahead and stand, and I'll close in prayer. Lord, we want to thank you for today. We thank you for uh, even passages like this that seem kind of academic, maybe, um, that um, we can go through the fact that you care uh, about all of us, but you specifically care about widows and especially uh, those who have no family. And as a church family, we get the privilege of coming around them and ministering to them. I thank you for um, the leadership that we have down in Fremont, the elders that are down there and uh, who kind of oversee what we're doing even up here. And I thank you for their leadership. I thank you for their dedication to you. I thank you for their passion to continue to push us as, as pastors and ministry leaders to be reaching people for Christ. That it's all about reaching people for Christ and helping them to grow in their faith, knowing that as they grow in theirs, we grow in ours. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to um, develop that as a passion for us, that we would have that desire that Christ had to live lives that represent you, that draw people to you for salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.